My mother was, is a servant person. And when I think about a mother, I think about like, I just, I feel like she must have gone to boot camp or something. Maybe mothers just have this boot, secret boot camp they go to and they learn that they are going to enter into the sacrificial life of giving and serving. Or maybe it's a surprise and they learn it on the job. I don't know. But I find that over and over and over, this is the case for mothers. And I, I can still remember our camping trips as we'd get ready to go for camping. And my mom, she'd go in and she'd clean out the tent trailer. And our, we, at one point we had a little trailer and she'd go in and clean it all out and wash all the linen and she'd bo- go shop and get the the food for camping and, and get pack it all in there and she would just be exhausted and then she'd clean up the house so we could leave the house clean and all the kids we'd be like playing or I don't know what we did but you know we're like hey we're going camping sweet you know grab my stuffy and we'd get in the car and my dad would start driving and so we'd be like wait a minute where's mom and my dad would say this didn't happen every time but sometimes a few times my mom and my dad said mom's gonna stay home and enjoy the clean and quiet house for a night and then she's going to come up and join us. You know? And I think she deserved that. That was like, wow, all the effort and energy she put in. And then I realized I'm married to, my, my wife has the same quality. Hey, like, we get the kids to bed. I have five kids, so we're like, oh, it's crazy. We're putting kids to bed. And I'll go down and be like, oh, I had such a long day. I'm going to sit down and watch some TV. Lauren, are you coming? She'll be like, yeah, I'm coming. We're like, okay. I'm going to start with you. I'm so tired. And then here she comes, she's like bringing five laundry baskets. And I'll be like, oh, wow, do you need my help? And she'll be like, no, no, it's fine. I'll just fold while we watch. And she just folds laundry. And I'm like, I'll fold a shirt, okay. It's so hard, it's, you know. And then, or, or I go into my room and I'll be like, oh, there's a laundry hamper on my bed. Okay, well, I'll just put it on the floor and get into bed and go to sleep. And Lauren comes and she's like, oh, there's a laundry hamper. Here, let's do this. Why don't you help me? We'll do this before we go to sleep. That's what it's like. Moms just, they just go after it and they serve and they give and they work. And so today's story actually fits really well with that theme of serving and giving and working so hard. It's a funny little story and it's sandwiched between the story of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember when we did that? It was a little while ago now. The story of the Good Samaritan and then with this teaching on prayer as Jesus begins to teach his disciples about prayer, which we started into and we're about to launch into, but we still got this little story that's between the two. And it's a story about Mary and Martha and a story about Jesus and serving. So let's read it together. It's Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And my big idea this morning is that the good news of Jesus breaks boundaries and invites us to undivided pursuit. The good news of Jesus breaks boundaries and invites us to undivided pursuit. I feel like Martha gets the shaft a bit with this story. It's a little bit unfortunate. 
Because we're always talking about like, oh, don't be a Martha, be a Mary. Don't Martha, be a Mary. We got this picture and I have this picture of Martha and Martha, you know, she's in the background in all the pictures. She's like angry or stewing. She's like this worker. And so she's always kind of like working. She's got like a worker face, right? She's just like this worker person. You know, we get this idea of like Mary, Mary loved Jesus and Martha loved the napkins. You know, like she just cares about setting out napkins, but, but Mary, she knows where it's at. And I, you know, I wonder, is this, is this really what the story is? Is this really what the story's about? Is this the, the big problem we have? Is, is she just mad that she, Mary's relaxing? Or is she jealous or is she petty? What's the problem? You know what the big problem is? Is that Mary is behaving as if she were a man. That's the big problem. She's behaving as if she were a man. And that's the problem. See, there were, let me give you some culture context. So there, there are some spaces. There's a public or a, a, a physical space. And the physical space had certain boundaries and understandings. So homes were clearly assigned with different spaces. So there was a space for men in the home. And it was the public space. It was the, you know, where all the men would gather. And that's where they would talk and hang out. And there was a space for women. And that was included the kitchen and some other private spaces. And if you, like, we went to the Middle East. Their kitchen is not a great room. Everyone's not hanging out in the kitchen. The kitchen's like a dirty, you know, it's like it's in the back or separate from the house. They've got like this main room and then they've got the kitchen is over separated. And so when people are working in the kitchen, it's not with everyone else. It's a separate space. And that's where the women were. They were separated. And then if you went outside, there would be a, a joint space. So that's where the kids play. And that's where people interact. Men and women would interact. Or if you had a married bedroom, that's where men and women interacted. So you got these Join spaces and these separate spaces. So when Mary settles down with the men, her behavior borders on the scandalous. Really. When she goes and sits in a male space, it's scandalous. And she crosses an important boundary of the home. Now there's physical space. There's also social space. And in social space, there were roles that were clearly for men and for women. And these roles were assigned in their culture and understood by all these people. So m- women were not invited or welcome into academic or religious learning situations. And that's just how the roles were. You can like it or lump it, whatever. That's how it was. And so when Mary comes in and she joins in, now there's this phrase, um, Mary sat at the Lord's feet. Now I get the picture of like, you know, sitting at someone's feet is like you gaze adoringly, like, you know, a dog sits at my feet or something. And, or like we sit at the feet of like, maybe some of you sat at Bono's feet recently and you looked up and you saw him performing. We idolize or we look up to some a sports hero or an idol and we sit at their feet and bask in their radiance. We, maybe you get that picture when we use that expression. However, that's not what they meant. It's not actually necessarily a physical space they're sitting in. So Paul, in Acts 22, verse 3, it says, Paul was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. That's what you'd say. If you went to him and you said, hey, who are you under? Who are you, who's, your, who's your teacher? Where are you? What program are you under? He would say, oh, I sit at the feet of Gamaliel. You say, oh, well, I sit at the feet of Jesus. Oh, well, I sit at the feet of Frank, the other rabbi. I don't know. Whatever his name is. 
And it meant that if you sat at someone's feet, you were their disciple. You sat at the feet of the rabbi that you wanted to be like when you were a rabbi or when you were educated. That's, you were, that's your program. So you're their student. You're their disciple. So when Mary sits at the feet of Jesus, she's crossing another important boundary. It just wasn't done. Rabbis weren't taking on women disciples. It just didn't happen. So Martha, all she's doing is simply drawing Jesus' attention to Mary's inappropriate behavior, really. So we should all be okay with it, right? There's a story in um, Is Your Church Too Safe, written by Mark Buchanan. He tells the story of a church service where, you know, they're worshiping, and suddenly a woman comes in, and she's very clearly a prostitute or a streetwalker. And she looks, you know, dressed that way very provocatively, and she's bedraggled and kind of run down. She looks just worse for the wear. And she comes in and she sits down in the middle of their gathering time. And so, you know, people are like, okay, well, okay, someone's here, and it's very noticeable. And uh, they go throughout the service, and then they come to the communion time. And the pastor, he gets up and he explains communion as taking Christ into yourself, his forgiving, redeeming, healing life into the very blood and bones of ourselves. That we're, when we participate in communion, we're feasting on Christ's love, on his forgiveness, and the promise of newness. And then, so in our context, we come up and receive communion, and we dip it, right, in the juice or the wine. And for them, they pass it around. So they've got, you know, a basket of bread or a plate of bread coming around with also a tray of little juice cups, and so this woman sitting there and the, the br- bread plate comes by. And so she takes a big handful and she puts it on her lap and she gets the plate go by and people are kind of like, whoa. And then when the pastor, you know, says, this is God, Christ's body broken for you. She takes that bread and she just starts eating it. And then she wipes her face and then the, the, um, the tray of juice comes around and she does the same thing. She takes a whole bunch of little juice thimbles. You're only supposed to take one, right? If you don't know this, I'm telling you this. People will be mad. She takes seven or eight, and she drinks them all because she's feasting on the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. Now, these kinds of stories are super awesome in a sermon illustration. But if you're sitting next to that person, it's a bit uncomfortable when that person starts doing something weird, right? Or something you're not used to. This is the problem. It's messy when grace and the world meets the kingdom of God. Jesus is breaking barriers. He just told a story of the Good Samaritan where the the neighbor, the hero of the story is the foreigner, the Samaritan who's got it messed up. And now he's allowing a woman to be his disciple These are boundary-breaking things. Make no mistake, they emphasize the same thing, both of these stories. And it is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, breaks boundaries. It overrides limitations, and it finds and it calls. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's good news for sinners and for addicts and for outcasts and for prostitutes. And it's good news for men and it's good news for women and it's good news for kids. 
and it's good news for seniors, and it's good news for homosexuals, and it's good news for heterosexuals, and for Jews, and for non-Jews, and for murderers, and for nuns, and for Baptists, especially, (laughs) and for atheists. It is good news that overrides whatever box you're sitting in. It is the good news of grace for everyone. N.T. Wright says this, this is not a woman's movement of the modern West. It's not based on abstract egalitarian ideals, don't get confused, but on the overflowing love of God, which like a great river breaking its banks into a parched countryside, irrigates those parts of human society which until now had remained barren and unfruitful. This is the love of God breaking out and pouring over. So what holds you back? What box do you sit in that holds you? That restricts you from the love of God? Is that possible? Is it your social position? Your finances? Your gifting? Is it your sin? Your failures? Your addictions? Your responsibilities? Is it your shame? Or maybe your family, or your kids, or your age, or put anything in there. What is limiting you from experiencing the freedom we find in Christ Jesus? It's available for you. This is what compels Mary to break social norms and go and sit at the feet of Jesus. Secondly, this is about an undivided heart. I remember being on the airplane with Lauren, my wife, and um, I remember, so the stewardess is doing their thing. If you've been on an airplane, they give the security instructions. They tell you, you know, your seat is a flotation device and all these things. Here's the exits. And one of the things they say that if we happen to lose cabin pressure, little oxygen masks will fall from the ceiling and you should put yours on when that happens. Now, this is what they say. They say, if you're a parent, you should put yours on first and put on your children's after. And Lauren looked at me and she was like, I don't know if I could ever do that. I could put on my mask before my child. What if they died? What? I don't know if I could do that. And I, I, I think I heard it somewhere, but I said, oh, well, it's because if you're the parent, then if you passed out, your kid can't put the mask on you. But if your kid passed out, you could put the mask on them. And so you should put on your mask first so that you could help your child if that's the order that you need to do it in. And this is the thing. So sometimes we feel this sense of responsibility. Oh, it's got to be a certain way, or I feel this, this obligation of this thing or that thing. And it's really important that we assess what comes first. What's most important in the order of things? There's a word in our passage that doesn't seem to fit, and it, kept, he, it keeps bugging me. And it's the word distracted, or the Greek is pedispao. Pedispao, it doesn't, I hope you're not Greek, but. It's this word distracted. See, Mary and Martha both had a role. They had something they needed to do. They were the women of the house. It says this was Martha's house, and she is a sister. And we know from other passages that they also have a brother named Lazarus. So it's Mary and Martha and Lazarus living in this house together. Now, because they say it's Martha's house, commentators will say, well, she could have been a widow, and so she's in charge of the household, and she's taking care of her brother and sister, and that's why it's her house. 
And because there's no husband ever mentioned, they say that's probably likely what it is. But the reality is, either way, Jesus comes into their house. Now, in a bunch of pictures, this is a better picture. There's lots of pictures where it's just Mary and Martha and Jesus for the story. They say, oh, this is a picture. Mary's at the feet. Martha's in the other room. The truth is, Jesus didn't go anywhere by himself. He had a huge crowd all the time. All his disciples and entourage are traveling with them. So if you really think about it, when Jesus comes over, he's also bringing a whole bunch of people. So for Mary and Martha, they have responsibilities as the hostess, as the the host of the home, that they're going to welcome people with hospitality. Now, as I said, we traveled and lived in a Middle Eastern country. I went up to a village with one of my students, and we were going to one place, and then suddenly he's like, oh, we need to go to this other village to get this paperwork, so don't worry, my cousin lives there, and we'll just stop in and stay there for the night. I was like, your cousin in a little village in Azerbaijan, up in the mountains of Lankaran, up there, like, we're going to just drop in, and I'm going to just drop in as the Canadian-American, you know, yay. I don't know if that's a good idea. He was like, oh, no, it's fine, it's fine. So we go to her house, literally, can't call, knock on the door. He's like, hi, hey. And it's his female cousin with her family and her husband and all their kids. And, And he's like, hey, can we stay here? And she's like, sure, yeah, come on in. We come on in. And then she starts making this meal, huge meal, set out plates full of food. I was like, where did all this food come from? He's like, oh, she, you know, she'll get it. She'll go talk to the neighbors, whatever. It's great. And so we start eating. I eat this huge plate of food. And then I get down to the very end of it. And then they pour on a whole bunch more. I'm like, no, no, no more food. And my student says to me, you have to leave food on your plate or she's not a good hostess. That's how they know that you aren't leaving hungry. And that's her responsibility as a hostess. Now you picture Mary and Martha. They're in this house with all these people. They have a lot of food to make, a lot of plates that need to stay full. There's a lot of stuff to do. Wash the feet, care, welcome everyone, make sure that everything's getting ready. And there's Mary not doing the job. It says, Luke says, Martha's distracted, but you and I know it's Mary who's distracted, right? It's Mary. I just have to picture my kids at dinner time. One of them's on set, one of them's on clear, and one of them's on dishes. And whoever's on set, so four o'clock is TV time at our house. Screen time starts. And so your homework has to be done, all the things. So four o'clock, oh, the TV. And so whoever's on table set needs to leave TV and to go and get this stuff. But, but our table's in the TV room. So what happens is you give plates to one of the kids and they say, okay. And they go and then you're like, hey, hey, Elijah, where are you? I'm coming. I'm just setting the table. And they come back in. You give them something and they go back and then they, they're there for a long time. And you go, you peek your head around the corner and they're like, <laughs> setting the table. This is what I picture Mary doing. She's like, Martha's like, okay, carry that tray into Jesus and the guys. Okay. She go in the room and she puts it down and she's like, oh, Jesus, this is so good. Mary, yeah, I'm just setting the table. And she comes back and she brings one more thing. And then she's like, forget this. I've never heard anything like this guy. Man, I need to be here. I don't want to go. And she stays. Who's distracted? Mary. Mary's distracted. But the Bible says Martha's distracted. It's Martha. This word, perispau, it means to be drawn around or drawn away 
or metaphorically to be driven about mentally, to be over-preoccupied, to be too busy about a thing. Literally, to be cumbered, like encumbered, cumbered, or frantic. This is the word describing Martha. She's cumbered. So this story is not about contemplation over action. N.T. Wright says, action and contemplation are both important. Without the first, you wouldn't eat. Without the second, you wouldn't worship. You need both things, contemplation and action. And the truth is, if we had a church that had 24-hour house of prayer and worship, and that's all they did, and they never took care of the poor or helped or gave anyone out, they would have missed their mandate if that's all they did. We need both contemplation and action. But the problem is we become cumbered or distracted or frantic or too busy or drawn about Overpreoccupied is the word. That's our problem. You know, we're doing this spring carnival, and um, we're gonna, it's going to be awesome. In a few weeks, we're going to have this big carnival right out here, and we've got, I've got 1,500 door hanger invitations. I bought 1,000 postcard invitations. We're on it, right? Okay. And so this is, it's going to be awesome. And so I thought, you know what? There's another church who who's done this for many years. Northridge Church did a community carnival for years. Very popular. And so I called up Dave Buzz and I said, hey Dave, do you have anything you want to help me out with? Any stuff lying around? Any contacts you want to give me? Any, you know, words of caution or anything? And he was like, sure, I'm in the middle of something. I'm going to write you Cole's notes. This is what he sent me. Number one, care for your volunteers. Don't grow bigger than your support base. So they try to do more than what they could handle in terms of volunteers. Secondly, don't train consumers. He said they got all these people who coming back year after year like, hey, we don't have tofu dogs here, the free dogs? Free hot dogs? I want a tofu dog. Hey, this is a different bouncy castle than last year. I don't like this bouncy castle. He's like, it's free. Are you kidding me? Thirdly, figure out your goal and stay in your lane. It changed, he said, from we love you and we want you to know we're here into it's tradition, so we have to do it. Fourthly, direct resources to outreach and discipleship. Don't forget why you're here. And as we go into the carnival, this is the reality. I'm taking back the word annual. I'm going to say, that's not what we're going to do. We're not locked into carnival. We're locked into Jesus. What Jesus is doing, that's what we want to do. If Jesus is about a carnival this year, we're doing a carnival. Next year, we're going to pray and see what is Jesus about for us to do. To impact our community and reach people for the good news of Jesus. And if anything, Martha's failure is in why. She's forgotten why she's doing all this. Jesus is in her house. Jesus is there. The healer, the teacher, the famous one who's done all these amazing things, is in her house. That's who she's serving. That's who she's giving to. And Martha asked Jesus to rebuke Mary, and then she gets the rebuke. He says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. You guys, this is a rebuke for us in our culture, for sure. 
receive the rebuke of Jesus. It's a gentle rebuke. I love that he says her name twice, or we could read it in a different tone. Martha, you are busy and anxious. Jesus talks like that all the time. He says, he says, Martha, Martha, you are busy and anxious about lots of stuff. Or worried and upset, the NIV says, or bothered in the NASV. You've got so much going on. Look into his kind eyes and receive the rebuke where Jesus says, stop. Stop slaving for the kingdom. Stop, stop working for some, some weird thing. Come and connect with me. I'm right here. Jesus says in Matthew 11:30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Or in John 15, 5, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We're not going to get it done over there on our own. That's not how it works. Jesus is first. This story reminds me of another Mary story. So in the book of John, in John chapter 12, there's another interesting Mary story. And again, Jesus is in Martha's house. Martha is serving again. And Lazarus is mentioned this time. He's sitting in there at Jesus's feet. He's a disciple. He's hanging out, listening to Jesus. And Mary, where's Mary in the story? She's, where is she? I don't know. Where's Mary? I don't know. She's not serving. She's not at Jesus' feet. Oh, here she comes. She's coming into Jesus. She's coming in to sit at Jesus' feet again. But she's got something under her shirt. What has she got over there? It's this bottle, this alabaster perfume. She brings it out and she pours the whole bottle of perfume over Jesus' feet. And if you were sitting there, like recently just had tea tree oil in our house. Man, that stuff, the whole house smells like tea tree oil. Like you get something like that, everything smells. She pours it all out. It's like, what are you doing, Mary? This was not like, you know, perfume from the bay or wherever. This was like expensive perfume that's passed down generation to generation. Like it's an investment you make and then you use it very sparingly. It was worth, they say, up, almost a year's wages or just over a year's wages. So in our money, I don't know what you think a year's wages is, but we could say like the average Canadian the Canadian average, maybe it's 40 or 50,000. Don't get mad. Don't get, un- don't get happy or sad. I don't know. 40, let's say 40 or 50,000. Okay. Just for the sake of picking a number, 40 or $50,000 for a bottle of perfume. And Mary takes it and she pours the whole thing over Jesus. And Judas, who's there is like, what are you doing? You could take that. You're going to throw it away. Go sell it and give the money to the poor. And I can take some of that money. He didn't say that, but that's what he was thinking. And this is the picture, though. What's Mary doing? And Jesus, he defends Mary. Mary's sitting with the boys, and Jesus defends Mary. Mary's throwing away the perfume. Jesus defends Mary. Why does Jesus defend Mary over and over? The reason is because the right thing and the best thing aren't always the same thing. The right thing and the best thing aren't always the same thing. You're like, heresy, heresy. Is this heresy? I don't know. Let me listen. It isn't right that Mary wastes $50,000 worth of perfume on the floor on Jesus' feet. It isn't right that Martha serves the crowd alone and her sister doesn't help. It isn't right that Mary scandalously sits with the men as a disciple of Jesus. 
but Jesus won't reprimand her. And why? Because Mary chooses Jesus first. It's best that Mary anoints Jesus for burial. And it's best that Mary pours out this extravagant sacrifice of worship at the feet of Jesus. And it's best that Mary chooses to listen and learn at the feet of Jesus. Jesus says it's the good portion or what is better or the good part or the best part. Other people in the Bible have expressed it this way. King David, who was a man after God's heart, this is what he said. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David says, this is what I'm about. If I could pick one thing that I'm about, it's to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and be in his temple, be in his presence. The apostle Paul expresses his one thing this way. In Philippians, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul says, if I'm going to pick one thing, it isn't all this stuff. That's like garbage to me now. Now that I know it's about knowing Christ, being found in him. You know, we hold this value as a church. When we started our gatherings, I realized like, there's a lot of stuff that happens. There's a lot of people who make today possible. There's setup team that goes, they set up all this stuff and they move tables and chairs and they're up moving bins into classrooms and setting up kids' spaces and there's Jubilee Kids team and they're preparing for the kids' program, which our kids are blessed to have an awesome pro- kids' program. Lots of teachers who love on them and teach them awesome stuff and help them have fun up there and it's great. We have com- communion. People come in and set up. We have music that's not distracting. That actually encourages us and drives us into the presence of God. This is awesome. And it's all these people serving. We said, there's so many things to do. How do we make sure that we don't get distracted? So what we did was, for the first year of our gatherings, we said that at 9 o'clock, right in the middle of setup and worship practice and all these things, we were going to stop everything. And we're going to have what we call sync time. And everyone comes and sits down. Everyone who's in the building comes and sits down. We stop. And we pray and we fix our affection and our attention on Jesus. Now, recently we've moved that time to 930 to be able to invite more people to come out and pray with us. But the goal is the same, that we don't forget why we're here and what we're here about. Mary chooses the best part. And you know what the good part is? No one's excluded. Martha is not excluded because Mary gets the good part. Later, we see Martha experiences transformation in her own life. She's the one when Lazarus dies in the book, uh, John, the book of John, chapter 11. Lazarus dies, their brother, Jesus' friend. Jesus doesn't come right away, and he dies. And then he's been dead for a couple of days, and Jesus has taken forever to get there. And finally, when Jesus gets into town, the person who runs to meet him is Mary? It's Martha. Mary still stays in the room. She's still crying. She can't do it. It's Martha who runs through town and meets Jesus at the edge of town. And Martha who says, Jesus, if you'd have been here, you could have healed him. And even now, Jesus, you could do something. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And then Martha is the one who makes the statement. 
Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the son of God who's coming into the world. It's Martha who says it. It's Martha who's first to run to Jesus. Jesus is the savior. He's the one setting people free, proclaiming jubilee, breaking boundaries, healing the sick, socializing with everyone, touching the unclean and making them clean. He's loving the unlovable and the outcasts. And everyone is invited into this new kingdom. Everyone is invited. That's the picture over and over. So for you and me, if we're going to take something home, how do we make Jesus first? Maybe you're like, okay, yeah, I want that too. I want to make Jesus first. That everything else flows out of that. I'd say there's lots of different things we could step into. We could walk into their spiritual disciplines or things that we discipline ourselves in to help ourselves journey with Jesus and grow with him and fix our gaze on him. One thing I'd like to really encourage you in is what's called quiet time. It's a time that you, you choose every day or as many days as you can where you set aside some time. It could be 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. You set aside some time to be in God's word, to pray and ask Jesus to be speaking to you. It's one of the ways we connect, we abide in him, we set our hearts on him. We do something called, it's called life journaling. And so we're working through a reading plan. It's a two-year reading plan. So I look on on the thing, there's a couple passages I read them. I ask God, God, will you speak to me today? And usually a verse jumps out to me. And then I write the verse down. I write down, so life, L is the verse. And I investigate. So I look at what is this saying? And then I write down, how does this apply to my life? And then I write down a little prayer. And I do that. I can do that every day. It doesn't take more than 30 minutes for sure. Now I have ordered for us life journals. Because I think this is really cool. It's a great way to practice having quiet time and there's some structure for people who like structure i like structure and uh so if you have a hard time with that it's we pick the best part of the day so for me it's early in the morning it's when i'm my best some people it's late in the evening before they go to bed that's their best and you take a little bit of time to be in the word and to be seeking the lord and letting him speak to us and teach us and help us to grow my first and greatest passion is to love him And out of that love, to love others. And this comes as we sit at his feet, become his disciples, and allow him to change us and transform us. So in conclusion, the good news of Jesus breaks boundaries and invites us to undivided pursuit. Whether you're a mother or a father or a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister, that covers everybody, right? You didn't even know I covered everybody. The good news of Jesus invites you to be free. Free of limitations, the things that are holding you back from following him or pursuing him. And it really does extend to everyone. No one is outside the invitation to this kingdom life. Secondly, we're free of divided hearts. Jesus is setting people free from their cumbered burden, the big things that weigh us down, that we become anxious and bothered about, we become preoccupied with. He wants to take that and allow us to look to Jesus as the one thing from which all else flows. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that um, you didn't rebuke Mary. And even when um, we might look at the story and I might look at it and think, I would have rebuked Mary. (laughs) Maybe both times. 
And Jesus, I'm so glad that we have this, this story, this account, where you, you told us what was important, and you showed it to us, and you demonstrated it. And Lord, um, I lift up everyone who's here today, this morning, Lord. And um, I, we're, we're very aware that there's lots of places where we feel held back, or we feel burdened, or we feel anxious. And Jesus, we want to bring those things to you this morning and allow you to take the burdens and give you yours in exchange, which you said is light and easy. And as we make that exchange with you, Jesus, would you speak our identity over us, that we belong to you, that that you love us, that you went to the cross to set us free, and you rose again victorious. Jesus, would you do that in our hearts this morning? Begin that work of transformation for some, and would you continue that work of transformation for others? We thank you that you are faithful to do this. We love you. Amen. Well, one of the things uh, we love to do when we gather is to take time to respond.